opposing the, the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are in the you know, I, ascendancy I, within, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right, right to right wing. The hard left agenda, printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that sort of hard left wing position. Hard left, the 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 hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 Welcome to the Real Politic Podcast for a very, very, very special episode. This is a little mini episode. Mini sode. A mini sode, yeah. And we're going to be discussing our reactions to the new Star Wars trailer Star Wars yeah. The Last Jedi. been incredible and because i would like to point out of course this episode is not funded by russia is it is in fact funded by disney they, they were able to broker a deal like they, <laughs> <laughs> they so, put aside their differences so yeah it was it was incredible i thought the, the fashion imagery the 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 cute little squirrel creature that screamed it was it was all amazing and i can't wait so this is the latest entry in the popular Men Who Stare at Goats series, that films, <laughs> I presume. Um, and it, it, it basically, I imagine this, this picks up where the last film uh, left off, in the story of uh, either George Clooney or Jeff Bridges' lovable eccentric psyop and their <laughs> crazy wacky adventures. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Got to say, it's a shame there's only one Jedi left, whereas in The Men Who Stare at Goats, the original, of course, there were multiple <laughs> characters, an ensemble cast comprised of <laughs> beloved character actors. But, you know, I'm interested to see this new spin on it. It's, of course, directed by uh, the guy who directed uh, Looper. Did you see Looper? Have you seen Looper? I've seen Looper, yeah, it's a good film. Yeah, so they've brought him in. He'll have no creative control. So, <laughs> go Isn't it Disney. Great? 
isn't it great that all these these creative, vibrant young indie directors are getting the opportunity to have their um, <laughs> have their entire artistic sensibility pissily watered down by made the forces of major studios. Oh, it's, it's, it's capital it's, itself. It's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Because you can imagine they just come into the boardroom like. They lay down all the ideas, and they're like, oh, that's cool. We're not going to do that. We just want you to just turn up and just, you know, tell tell your crew what you want, and we'll tell you what to yeah. do, and then you bring the cut to us. We'll cut it how we want, and if you try and speak out, uh, we'll destroy your career. Um, so that's <laughs> The Last Jedi. Uh, we're not talking about Star Wars today, as you probably would have guessed. We're not. Um, I, I'm afraid to our listeners, we are not going to be discussing the trailer for the new Star Wars film. This is like when Jude thought we were going to be talking about Lord of the Rings, but actually oh, yeah. we were talking about Harry Potter. <laughs> does Jude really, does she, like, does she adore Lord of the Rings? I think she does really like Lord really? of the Rings, oh, yeah. okay. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure, like, one episode we can bring her on and she can talk about it for hours on end, you know, and even talk about the Hobbit films. I would love to know what she thinks of the Hobbit movies. Mm. You know, that, that, that 200-odd page book with, which they stretched out to, like, three three-hour films. <laughs> somehow. Somehow. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, I think we talked a little bit about Lord of the Rings when Jude came on. I don't know how much we talked about the Hobbit um, I'm pretty sure we've alluded to The Hobbit on the show before, but um, anyway, I'm just gonna very good. I'm just gonna veto the idea of a full Lord of the Rings episode of Real Politics right now. <laughs> I mean, you guys are welcome. Sorry, guys. Sorry, listeners. You you guys can like do it without me when I'm busy with coursework or something if you want. <laughs> now, we are actually going to be talking about a film today, and that's that's the, that thing that's probably the, the shock and horror of today's <laughs> episode. We're actually going to be talking about a film. You know, know this 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 podcast, real politic, that's supposed to be talking about films. You know we how we always talk about films. Well, mm. guess what? We're talking about films today. Here they are. We and are. We're going to be talking about a film which we've mentioned quite a bit on our podcast Twitter account, haven't we? We've sort of we um we've alluded to it quite a few times. We've sort of recommend like when people have like added us like asking us to like recommend them films. We've this has been the film that we've usually recommended to them, and even and when we did that uh, that Fred, uh, one one like equals one favorite film. Yeah. This of course came at the top of our list. We never and finished that thread, did we? We got so many likes no. on it, and, and uh, we we only did like about half of them. We got we got out we got out the main film, the main films that we really like. We might go back to it eventually. Yeah. How many likes did we get on that in the end? It was like was it over, like 180 odd or 190? Like it was like a ridiculous number. It was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to like scrounge through our uh, archives and pull out some obscure films that people might want to watch Just and stuff. Our audience trying to tease some film opinions out of us like come on guys i know they're in there somewhere uh so um the film we're going to be talking about today uh is thief uh the directorial debut i'm gonna say of michael mann this was the film that sort of put him on everyone's radar in hollywood um starring james khan I don't think it is his um, directorial debut, but you've got to hold the line while I Google. He he well he he did some uncredited screenplay work on um, Straight Time, didn't he? Um, oh, did he? He did, yeah. 
I had no idea, but I love Straight Time. I think that's one of the most yeah. underrated films of the 1970s. Absolutely, and that's another film that we've actually mentioned a few times on our podcast feed. That's also featured on the thread that we were talking about, and a film that we always try and bump to people. And of course, it stars Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, the, film, the late, great HDS. Who I'm sure we'll do an episode on soon. He deserves an episode. Right, sorry, it's just taking like five years to load this page. <laughs> Uh, he did like um, okay, so he's basically worked on like documentary shorts. He's worked on short films. Uh, he also worked on a TV movie called The Jericho Mile as well. Okay. But in terms of theatrical, it was his first major theatrical release. Okay, um, which was then followed by a film called The Keep, which is a, I believe, is his Nazi castle movie. <laughs> <laughs> is David Bowie in that, or am I just tripping? Um, Ian McKellen's it. Uh, okay. Right. And uh, Robert Prosky, who's also in Thief, who we'll talk about as well. Um, but I, I've read that there's a 210-minute cut of the keep that's floating around. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, no, yeah. I I think I was thinking of um, some early Tony Scott film that's like a weird fucking trash horror film that David Bowie is in. Oh, um, oh, that's called uh, The Hunger yes. from 1983. Have you seen that? I haven't seen The Hunger, no. It's uh, Susan Sarandon's in it as well. Yeah, oh, that, that's pretty cool. Uh, Susan Sarandon, who of course is single-handedly responsible for the Trump presidency. <laughs> oh, Damn you, Sarandon! <laughs> she, she has become like a major scapegoat for liberal America. What, because she backed Bernie Sanders? Uh, because she backed Bernie Sanders and then, I think, backed Jill Stein. So she's, see <laughs> she's seen as the ultimate kind of splitter. <laughs> oh, man, which... Solidarity with Susan Sarandon. Absolutely. Hey, which fucking Belushi is it who's in Thief? Is it Jim? Uh, James Belushi. Yeah, yeah, Jim Belushi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, him who's in the new series of Twin Peaks as uh, one of the Mitchum brothers in a brilliant comic turn. Oh fucking hell, Jim Belushi is in um, is in Woody Allen's next film as well. Um, oh, God. Wonder Did... Wheel. <laughs> Can't believe he's oh. called he's called it Wonder Wheel, and Belushi is in that as a character called Humpty. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh... Did you hear that? Uh, did you hear Woody Allen came out and, and expressed his views on the whole Weinstein um, <laughs> controversies? He was just like, "I'm hoping this doesn't uh, influence a, a witch hunt." It's like, mm, I wonder why that is, Woody. I wonder why yeah. you don't witch hunt in Hollywood, right? Now. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I did see that. Yeah, and he said he's sad for the women who were affected, and he's very sad for Harvey Weinstein. I think he literally used our beloved phrase, very sad and tragic. We'll never use that again. <laughs> it's dead now. <laughs> Woody Allen has killed very sad and tragic. Oh my god. So, um, Thief, you introduced me to this film back in university, I believe. Oh yeah, 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 I did. You did. I think we watched it together. I think we, uh, it was after we'd handed in all our coursework uh, after the third year. Because I think I was talking to you about Drive, and you were going on and were like, oh, so you like Drive? Well, here's a film from the early 80s, directed by Marco Mann, that I think you'll like. If you like Drive, then you'll, you'll probably get something out of The Heat. Uh, sorry, The Heat? Thief? The Heat? The Heat. I don't <laughs> know what that is, some combination of uh, Heat and something beginning with The. Um, but the yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Michael yeah. Mann nuts. 
castle movie. Yeah, you'll, you'll probably enjoy, if you like Drive, you'll probably enjoy uh, Thief and Water Hills, but the driver is very similar to Drive. Uh, it's similar to Thief kind of stylistically. Um, you know, very neon tinged movie. Lots of, you know, lo- lots of uh, city lights reflecting off the electronic cars. soundtrack as well. Yep, and uh, a lot of very kind of. Well, Thief is different actually because it's more of a character study. Both Drive and The Driver make virtue of having very kind of anonymous characters to the extent that in The Driver they're literally just called like the cop. The thief, yeah, like yeah, yeah. the driver, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Of course, it features James Khan as the as the thief, as a uh, uh, Frank in the film. Yeah, and he's um, as you say, it's essentially a character study. A uh, very sort of kind of, he's essentially like a loner character, isn't he? He's kind of he's mm. been in and out of jail over a period for most throughout most of his twenties and early thirties, and he's basically he's come out. He's been been out of jail for about five or so years and he's essentially working his way up as this kind of like small as this kind of professional safe cracker mm. and he's learnt everything he knows through um someone he knew on the inside played by willie nelson yes in the film not that long but it's absolutely fantastic it's uh, a serious dramatic turn from willie i know and he um like he's how, like how long is he in the film for like he's like he has that one scene where he kind of he meets frank's character and it's kind of revealed that he's um, spoiler alert, by the way, um, that he's dying. Yeah, he's and, like, I got about ten months, and I don't want to die in here. Yeah, and it's that scene, and literally when he's out of uh, prison and he's in the hospital bed, and that's it, really. And that's mm. sort of the only sort of downside to the film I could say. Well, there's, no, no, there's there's flaws in there, but I would have loved to have a bit more development of his character because in the in the small time that you have with him, he's like. He's, He's great. Um, mm. So James Cairns in the film is Frank. Uh, Tuesday Wells uh, plays uh, Jesse, a cashier, doesn't she, in a in a cafe? Who he who he's been, which he's been going into over a, a few months and stuff, and, and finally asks her to go out on a date and stuff, and eventually decides that he wants to marry her and stuff. He's very open with her about his um, what he does. Yeah, he's uh, like, he, I've he done just, time. <laughs> yeah, he's, there's that scene where he just like. He's 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 doing some of his errands and then he realizes that he's late for their first kind of their first date and then of course she's like she's like I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not in for this I'm not you know I'm not here to be stood up by you and made a fool of so he just he drags yeah. her out of the yeah. car, throws her into his car yeah. and goes we're gonna go for coffee and we're gonna talk I'm gonna tell you about my life you are scared to death you're an asshole that's lovely. I mean, what are you doing in your life that is so terrific? My life is fine. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You don't know about me. Yeah. I know all about you. You know, inside. bullshit. Why are you going to shout? Excuse me, yeah. Uh, we have two coffees here? Sorry, so? So, so what? So, tell me. Minions? No, thanks. So, uh, what was it like? You know, a lot of money, Tucson, Mexico City, Bogota, drifting, you know, okay? Okay. It got twisted and ugly and empty. It was over already, but we kept moving through the moves. It ended very badly. Now, I get up in the morning, I take a shower, I go to work, I have a job, I have a social security card, 
And my life is very ordinary, very boring, which is good, because it's solid. Your marking time is what you are. You're backing off, you're hiding out, you're waiting for a bus that you hope never comes because you don't want to get out anyway because you don't want to go anywhere, all right? Do you have a license for this? <laughs> all right, how much was he moving? <sighs> Nothing till, till the end. And then kilo amounts. I don't, I don't know. Well, then what? He's dead. Hmm? He is dead. That is good because he's an asshole. There was a lot of love in the beginning. The guy was an asshole. There was love in the beginning. Big asshole. I mean, he put you in a box. You know the kind of things they do to you 10 times a day if you do a bit in Columbia? Do you? Jesus Christ. Don't shout in here. It's you proper. Know, you listen. It's like, oh, God, you know, like. It's proper you know, old school masculinity, isn't it? <laughs> he is, yeah. He's, um. He's, he's very flawed, but it's. But I. Mm. I you know, I don't want straight cut characters in my Michael Mann crime films. I want, no. you know, I want, kind of, I want flawed, hard edge characters. And, but yeah, you have that scene where he's. Just, <laughs> I don't know go, you want go. it, but, but, but is, is oh, that how no. blurred lines oh, go? No, God, that song. <laughs> the oh, song that the song that fucked up the music industry because you can't even rip anyone off a little bit now without getting sued. For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. You do get rugged, not clear-cut kind of characters in this. Morally ambiguous. Um, but as with any Michael Mann film, your protagonist is very manly, very masculine. Yes. Very yes. male. Um, you know, I, I, is there a Michael Mann film that isn't like that? Um, no, 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 <laughs> even, uh, even fucking, what's it called? It was originally called Cyber, and then they changed the name. Black Hat. Um, it, oh, the, with the one, his, like, his most recent film about kind of, like, hacking and stuff. Yeah, like, it's hacking so stuff, yeah. fucking boring. It's just trying to, it, 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 really? yeah, it's like, it, it's just, like, about nerd shit, but he tries to make it like Miami Vice. So, just, <laughs> so it's like you just you you gotta believe that Chris Hemsworth, who's literally just you know a big fucking like slab of flesh, is like uh you know is is, is somehow this like genius hacker. Then it's got this ridiculous scene at the end where it's at like I, I don't know some kind of religious festival and uh, just just like he's just running through the crowd and bare people are getting shot. Um, it kind of reminded me of the scene at the end of the last Bourne film where it's at the uh, anti-austerity riots in Greece. Um, and, you know, they had like they had Paul Mason as an advisor on that movie. Um, <laughs> not, not a black hat on on the uh, on Jason Bourne. But yeah, it's just, again, it's just chaos in this crowded kind of uh, setting. But again, they just kind of depoliticize it and literally just use this. I guess this big crowd is like a contextless uh, scene-setting device. But I'd, yeah, that I, <laughs> that was a bad film, <laughs> Black Hat. I yeah, did not. Yeah, it didn't get well received, it. did it? Black Hat. It was it was absolutely bombed and wasn't critically well received. And yeah, I, it's going to be difficult to believe Chris Hemsworth as a you know this kind of slick computer hacker. You know, kind of like. No, I, I no, I'm not buying. I'm not buying that. <laughs> nah, no, not, not at all. Uh, Before that was Public Enemies as well, which was a very underwhelming movie. Have you uh, seen yeah. Public Enemies? I have, yeah, but I watched it um, 
many years ago because I I think when I was younger I was just like you know oh, I'll watch a film with action and that way I'll definitely be compelled by it and I'll definitely be able to concentrate and and it never fucking worked as well like I just watch all these like garbage war films like uh, We Were Soldiers and oh, stuff. Oh the Mel Gibson Vietnam film. <laughs> yeah exactly just just you know just some flag waving jingoistic crap. And, is, that, and, is that the film where he has the line I will be the first one on the the battlefield and i will be the last one off the battlefield like... oh maybe i don't yeah <laughs> so like i said this was a long time ago you know anyway i watched public enemies around that time and i think i i was really uh, thrown by the like digital photography on it yeah, this is so uncinematic, and it is kind of boring, and, uh, and, and you know, uh, sort of serviceable. It's a film that just glazes over you, really. You're watching, like, oh, okay, and you just sort of move on. And, yeah, you're right about the digital photography as well. It, it's, it was at that time before they they hadn't quite got it right yet in terms of making it cinematic. It, it I think didn't... Miami Vice does the uh, digital cinematography a bit better. I mean, yeah, it's, you... it's just ridiculous. <laughs> like, uh, I quite I quite enjoy that film. I need to rewatch it. Um, but uh, was Collateral the first film that Mann did where he uh, used digital cameras? I mean, like, yeah, it would it would have been, because before that it was Ali. Uh, which yeah. I believe it would have been shot on film. So yeah, Collateral was the would have been his first film, sh- you know, first shot properly on digital. Well, Collateral is brilliant. I think just yeah, a really slick it and efficient works. thriller, and um, yeah, and Tom Cruise is very good in that film actually. And uh, and I think you know the digital cinematography in there it gives this this kind of like hyper modern feel in these kind of neoliberalized spaces. Like a lot of it yeah. is set on like presumably private public transport and and in these like big expansive office blocks and stuff and it's really a film that gets into the kind of capitalist heart of the city it's set in i'm not saying it has anything to say about capitalism but it's again it uses it as a nice kind of setting yeah it works for it works for that but again it doesn't really work for public enemies his crime film, his mob film which is set in like you know depression era you know, United States in the 1930s, it, it, you know, that going for the digital look doesn't work for that. No. For collateral and for Miami Vice, more so, probably. Yeah. So, Thief, um, <laughs> the film we're going to talk about. It's, it's, we always go off topic, but, you yeah. Know, um, so you have, yeah, you have James Kahn as Frank, and after several scores, uh, he's basically misled on a job, isn't he? which leads to him going into this office because he wants to get the rest of his cut uh, from this job he's done and he just casually walks into this office and he and he and he, he gets like a he gets <laughs> he gets to see, yeah you know what scene I'm talking yeah. about yeah he gets to speak to the, the guy who um who's connected with Robert Prosky's character Leo the Actually, fucking yeah. face on that guy man like he's got one of those like old american character yeah. actors in crime film faces where it's just like this Great, isn't it? <laughs> it? Yeah, it's just literally like this, like fucking, like mushed up, fucking like slab of putty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, 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 his face just etches into your mind, and you, you can you can never forget it. Um, it, it. Yeah, it's grotesque but characterful. It reminds me of the face of uh, <laughs> M. Emmett Walsh, who, of course, Robert E. Uh, sorry, Roger Ebert coined the Stanton Walsh rule, which was no film starring either Harry Dean Stanton or M. Emmett Walsh can be altogether bad. Although <laughs> Ebert would later concede that there were exceptions to this rule, such as the Will Smith vehicle Wild Wild West. Oh god. <laughs> oh, god. 
<laughs> have you seen Wild Wild West? No, I haven't. I, I come on, no, man. You, like, you don't need to see it. <laughs> Will, Will Smith uh, has unfortunately uh, suffered the Tom Cruise syndrome, which is, I'm not talking about his slight dalliance with Scientology, yeah, but that we saw in the film After Earth, co-written by Will Smith. Um, no, I mean that he quickly became such a big star that he never starred in any interesting movie, because every movie he did had to be a Will Smith film. It had to come from a Will Smith production line, and, you know, actors can't be the author of a film because it will be rubbish. Like, they don't know what they're doing. Like, for for fuck's sake, like, come on. Like, Tom Cruise and Will Smith, like, please work with some good directors again, guys. Which, again, going back to Collateral, and in fact, maybe Ali. I haven't actually seen that one, but I've heard Will Smith is pretty decent. He's good in it. Uh, the film, I remember I remember watching it a few years ago. Not exactly one of man's best, but yeah, it is elevated by Will Smith's performance, definitely. Which is a shame, because, you know, Michael Mann directing a Muhammad Ali movie, like, you know, you'd think that would be absolutely Banging. fire, but... Yes. So, so Frank, he, uh, he's basically cut loose on some money, and he decides to go to the office of um, a... It's a plating company for a guy called Mr. Attaglia? And he, and he basically just walks into the office, he gets a meeting with him, he gets into the office, he pulls up the chair right next to him, and he just intimidates him, and then yeah. just pulls a gun on him. Yeah. <laughs> and then just, like, he tells his two, the, the guy's two henchmen come into the room, he's like, get on the fucking ground, he's just the gun around. He's just like, I'm the one guy you don't want to fuck with. <laughs> Again, you know, like Michael Mann's incredibly macho leading, you know, characters in his films. It's a very good tough guy scene. It is, yeah. It's it's James Khan just walking in, bringing hellfire. Yeah. Um, so this, of course, leads to him being introduced to Leo, played by Robert Prosky, who we've described has the, what did you say? He has the face of, uh, of the- putty, of yeah, it's just a, a kind of mushed up ball of putty. Like he, well, he's one of those American character actors who appears in a lot of crime films and stuff. Who just has a very kind of lived-in face, um, yeah. where you just you just want to get this guy to play some kind of uh, so, so basically someone who doesn't need to be good-looking. Someone who's yeah. so who holds so much sway in the underworld. Yeah. He's such a powerful figure that he can go around with a face like that and be just a okay, you know, until the end of the <laughs> film. Obviously, when when in almost a kind of anticlimactic scene, James Caan just fucking pops him. It's oh, well, we will get to that scene because I I, I would describe most of FIFA as being quite um, slow paced. Mm. Um, for the most part and then that ending just everything just like the tangerine dream soundtrack just gets thrown out and there's mm. just this kind of heavy guitar like yeah. down, down, it's just like down, it's like down. some huge like hair metal guitar solo basically <laughs> uh, it reminds me of you know felt that indie band i like yeah it reminds me of their song new day dawning where it's kind of classic um indie-ish felt for the first few minutes and then the song just stops. There's a drum fill, and then this huge, like, cheesy ass guitar solo just kicks in and just <laughs> goes on for three minutes. And it's not like the other guitar solos on Felt songs, which are all very kind of clean it? and melodic. Yeah, it's proper, like.
in fact, it, that reminds me of the uh, guitar solo at the end of New Slaves by Kanye West, which, in fact, has a similar false stop, where the, the song ends, and then the drums come in, and then, like, Frank Ocean, like, I won't end this fight, end this fight again. But th this isn't a Yeezus episode, I'm sorry. I'm sure one day we'll have an episode on Yeezy. We'll have to talk about his uh, his short film that he did for My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, I'm sure. Um, but also Felt. Uh, we, I'd highly recommend Felt as well. You know, the albums like Forever Breathes the Lonely Word, uh, the yeah. debut album Crumbling the Antiseptic Beauty. Just like, was it like 10 albums they put out over the 1980s? 10 albums and 10 singles in 10 years, then they split up. Was it like 10 albums they put out over the 1980s? 10 albums and 10 singles in 10 years, then they split up. Yeah, amazing. Uh, they're, they're, and it's also worth pointing out that they actually recorded a few of their albums quite nearby to me. Really? Um, in Leamington, Leamington Spa. Yeah, yeah. The recording ah. studios are still there. So that's a nice bit of trivia there. I there's remember. A lot, like... There's a lot of history around your ends. Enoch Powell, Felt. <laughs> <laughs> I've mentioned before, but yeah. Uh, there's a graveyard not too far away from me where uh, the, the remains of Enoch Powell are, are currently resting. Since we're talking of music, who's the kind of soul funk band that appears briefly in Thief? A blues guitarist called Mighty Joe Young, who will close the episode on with the track that's featured in this movie. It's fucking awesome. It's like, uh, it's when he's like, he's running his errands and he realises he's he's running late on that first date with uh, Jesse. But yeah, it's just this kind of awesome like blues band that's playing and it's kind of just like goes over the soundtrack. And again, it's yeah, some good shit. I was watching this last night with my dad and he was just like, this isn't Tangerine Dream, is it? <laughs> yes, it is certainly not Tangerine Dream. The thing about Mighty Joe Young as well, I, I was actually looking up his like discography, mm. and I don't think he's put out much stuff, or or, or yeah. at least his his work is quite difficult to find. Uh, it seems that a lot of his work is mostly from recordings of live shows that he did. Oh. So I'll, I'm going to hunt down some of his stuff because yeah, like the track that's in this film is fucking awesome. People, check out Mighty Joe Young. Mm. Where, where what we oh yeah oh yes uh, felt uh, <laughs> <laughs> listen to felt folks go on YouTube their albums are all on uh, uh, YouTube and Pink also Doral Jackson review that's a great album oh, yeah. also listen to a band called McCarthy as well oh fuck do listen to McCarthy yeah although um their singer is like some fucking libertarian knobhead who writes for Spike now <laughs> like, oh, <really? laughs> no no like for, for, for some perspective McCarthy were this like great British indie band from the 80s who had just pure Marxist lyrics um, yeah, yeah. they sounded like the Smiths but with actually better politics than they actually have um, oh, yes. obviously oh, yes. we, we know now Morrissey is very uh, you know send them back <laughs> I don't understand how people have only just recently realised this. Like, if you listen to songs like Irish Blood, English Heart from, like, 2004, 2005, like, you can tell that there's some <laughs> problematic politics brewing in there. I've been dreaming of a time when the English are sick to death of Labour and Tories and spit upon the name of
literally wrap himself in the flag at some gig and and everyone was like Morrissey this is fascist or something and, <laughs> and then didn't didn't they like resurrect rock against racism because he did that or some shit oh, <laughs> fuck knows man he's he's kind of he's just yeah Morrissey man <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, uh, McCarthy, if you want to hear a better Smiths, listen to McCarthy. Yeah. Uh, particularly I Am A Wallet, their, uh, their album that Google includes YouTube. tracks like An MP Speaks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right know, to your MP. <laughs> <laughs> the procession of popular capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, they're like really short, slick, jangle, you know, indie jangle pop tunes, and they're just, they're fucking great. I swear there's, there's a really, <coughs> yeah, fuck, okay, so, so it turns out there's a McCarthy album I've never heard of called The Enraged Will Inherit the Earth, but I really like their third album, Banking Violence and the Inner Life Today. That features tracks such as, uh, and tomorrow the stock exchange will be the human race. Uh, <laughs> um, use a bank I'd rather die and the drinking song of the merchant bankers <laughs> so the lead singer uh, was it Tim Gain is it so he's become like a full blown libertarian now is he or um Tim Gain McCarthy. Let, let let me see. Yeah, he he's basically is it like left libertarian or sort of like conservative libertarian. Oh, like conservative what? libertarian. I mean, do you know Spike? Oh magazine? no, really? Oh, for fuck's yeah, sake! Well, all right. So you know Spike. It's people who are basically consider themselves leftists and liberals, but their views are basically indistinguishable from fascism in every single way. <laughs> so it's like I think Spike is an offshoot of some older publication. I think Living Marxism, which was yeah nominally a marxist publication however if you read spiked it's all just why climate change doesn't exist dot 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 and political correctness is causing it even though it's not real yes it is a beautiful day even though left-wing environmentalists would believe you have you believe that the climate that there's climate change even though there is not climate change, it's total bullshit. You look in the sky, it's beautiful blue sky. Ah, oh, mate, they, they, I've read some bollocks on Spike. Environmentalism is anti-growth or something. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> right, okay. And, uh, you know, Angela Nagel, who wrote that Kill All Normies book? No, no, <laughs> does she write for Spike? Yes, she does, she does indeed. Ah. Along with some very, very ugly man off Twitter who keeps tweeting transphobic stuff. But <laughs> let's uh, let's right, move on. Okay. Let's move on yeah. from there. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um... So thief. Thief. Um, <laughs> the classic of our film discussions. We always get sidetracked, but it's good because it means we recommend other media and stuff like that. You know, like Felt and McCarthy and. Mm. So uh, yeah, banging soundtrack uh, from Tangerine Dream. Visually, absolutely just like so many shots where I could just watch that single shot for five minutes stretched out and just mm. take it all in you know ne you know lovely neon colors in there it, it's just it's a gorgeous film to look at cinematography was by two people it was by uh, donald forin and uh don cahill i see you've also worked on purple rain oh oh banger and um oh and of course the classic Sylvester Stallone, Kurt Russell film, Tango in Cash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the late eighties buddy cop movie. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Which has four credited directors. Oh sh- wait, oh my god, it's it's got um it's oh my word. It, the, well, yeah, like the three of them are uncredited: uh, Peter McDonald, Albert uh, Mag- Magnoli, and Stuart Bard. Um, yeah. who mainly worked as a editor um, before he got his big, br- uh, big break directing <laughs> Executive Decision, starring uh, Kurt Russell and Steven Seagal. I- I've seen a couple of films that Donald E. Thorin shot. Actually, he shot Scent of a Woman, the film for which Al Pacino won his, I think, only Oscar. Deserved it for others, not yeah. necessarily. He Sense. shot Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. His last two films I have actually seen. There's Shaft, the oh, remake yeah. by yeah. John Singleton, which is uh, okay. <laughs> and then... <laughs> is that where it's the, it's the grandson of the yeah. original Shaft, is it? Yeah, it's okay. Samuel L. Jackson. It's, it's like entertaining enough. Um, and Head of State. To Chris Rock's film from 2003, which is really unfunny, <laughs> really, really, oh. really bad film. Yeah, <laughs> what's it? What's it about? Chris Rock becomes president. <laughs> he's, oh, just, okay. <laughs> he's just like some average uh, schlub, and somehow events transpire to rocket him and his straight-talking, honest style right into the presidency. Okay, and it's it does not pay off at all. Ah, uh, well, I mean, it, it pays off for America in the film, but I um, no, yes. it doesn't. It doesn't pay off for uh, for the cinema going people of America and the wider world. No, <laughs> Thief was apparently Jim Belushi's first film appearance. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know that. I, thought, I assumed he would have had a, probably would have been like starting like appearing in films in like the late seventies and stuff before getting to Thief. But no, that's interesting. I think Robert Prosky was one of his first films in the nineteen eighties. Like, yeah, this was his first film. Oh shit! So I I assumed that he'd have been in like films for years prior to this. And actually, fucking hell! I just remembered. I watched John Carpenter's film Christine, which is a film about a killer car. <laughs> recently like just basically Which has harry dean stanton of course it has reason. harry dean stanton plays a cop in it pro cop when they're played by harry dean stanton um, <laughs> but, but basically it's just about like two guys like there's this uh, two teenage guys there's this jock and there's this nerd and robert prosky plays the owner of um the garage where the fucking nerd kid in christine keeps christine his murdering car I watched that film just like, who the fuck is this guy with this, like, sunken face? Prosky's fucked up face. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just watching the scene right now where James Kahn and Prosky and the lads are all on top of this building. And everything's so fucking green. Like, it's, I guess, kind of turquoise-y. But, like, all the buildings around them look green. Like, um... Which is interesting because a lot of the film is very blue, which is a which is very Michael Mann. He loves. You know blue. what? You know what? Maybe it's blue. Maybe I'm just being. I said kind of turquoisey. You know, maybe it is blue, but it's. <laughs> if you've <laughs> but... seen Heat or Manhunter, you yeah. will get used to the color blue. But like it's it's during the day in this scene, and they're standing on top of a building, and and the color the color scheme is like the same as all the shots that are done at night. Basically, no, the film has a really kind of strong 
uh, strong neon blue or possibly green if you're like me and can't tell the difference. <laughs> aesthetic. A turquoise kind of aesthetic. But it's not just when it's coming from the neon lights of the city at night. It's uh, it's even during the day. The film just has a consistent yeah. look. The film was also based on a novel which was written under the pen name of Frank Hoheimer. The um, novel has a really rubbish name as well. The Home Invaders. Called, yeah, Confessions of a Cat Burglar. Um, oh, what? Was, Wait, oh, is that yeah. is that the subtitle? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Oh, okay. Because, you know, it's just like, imagine if this film was called The Home Invaders. Like, he doesn't even really invade that many homes in it. Yeah. He, he, he mostly yeah. he mostly robs banks, doesn't he? He's very He's very professional. He doesn't go for anything too high stake. He likes to sort of stay. That's why he's sort of very like when he begin. He starts kind of getting involved with Leo, and his uh, and and the mob and stuff. He doesn't want to get too into it. But of course, as it goes along, because Leo's character actually organises a child for him and Jesse, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, in the film, because of course uh, they can't have children. Of course, that is revealed that that's him slowly luring him into his kind of his web which he can't break out of so after that final job he's only given a portion of the of the the returns because he, he it's revealed that uh, the rest of it's invested into i believe property or something like that yeah that he he says earlier on in the film only pay me in cash or diamond yeah that's it um so he he gets done over there and it's as the scene essentially when he it's it's revealed that Robert Prosky is essentially just owns him and that he will make his life hell and he'll he'll you know and he just decides to go and uh, like blow up his kind of car businesses and then goes to Robert Prosky's house and shoots him dead. Yeah, he just fucks him up, and that's when the big hair metal guitar solo comes in, and, and the all motion starts and the kind yeah. of the, the henchmen well, come running in. It's just exactly. like, it's, it's great. It's a good shootout, yeah. It's it's shot in this very kind of like fragmented, slightly unnerving style, which reminds me of all the gunfights in um, Manhunter. I know you want to go in a minute, but like, can you fucking believe that that Tangerine Dream score got nominated for the Razzie Award for worst score? I was going to bring this up. What the fuck? And this is why you Chris. shouldn't listen to the Razzies because. Look this amazing soundtrack got nominated for worst musical score for some reason the Razzies don't know a fucking thing they're fucking philistines like i've seen it time and time again they just don't realize that something is unique and good and they're just like can't you be more like i don't know they're they're the kind of guys who like in i reckon they watch the blandest like oscar bait shite and are like this is bang up this is what cinema yeah. should be like i reckon in 1989 they uh they probably watched driving miss daisy and were like this is the cutting edge then they watched do the right thing they watched do the right thing and were like uh why does he uh damage the nice white people's property at the end of the yeah. film uh, uh, uh they worked hard for that property you know um yeah <laughs> i genuinely yeah. think that they're those uh, those kind of people don't listen to them. Absolute slugs. Please go and get the Tangerine Dream soundtrack to Thief. It is, it is, it is tranquil and just beautiful. Does the soundtrack contain the track from the end where the guitar is just like? It, I, 
think certain pressings of it does. That track is by a composer called Craig Saffin, I believe. Something I thought uh, was cool, actually, just on the Tangerine Dream note, is that they still kind of occasionally do scores, such as they they, uh, created a bunch of new music for Grand Theft Auto (laughs) V. I think I read that somewhere, yeah, and it's got its own, like, yeah. radio, like, channel on. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really play video games, but I've played GTA Five like, with friends and stuff, and I've noticed, like, uh, there's even certain shots that seem kind of um, stylized after Thief, and they have that... Although that melody I was actually humming is actually the synth intro to Leonard Cohen's first They Take Manhattan, but... I think the Michael character in GTA 5 is like yeah he's like a professional like thief isn't he so yeah like yeah. and you're right when you do still fucking with crime cause crime pays I'm still fucking with crime cause crime pays I never change I'm ain't closed for days I just want to briefly pipe in you know on the on a Jim Belushi-ish note but I hope in the new Woody Allen film, Wonder Wheel, which I hope has a uh, his usual Cole Porter classics on the soundtrack, replaced by Oasis bangers, um, possibly <laughs> some stuff off Liam's new album. Um, but but no, I, I hope that in that film, um, Jim Belushi's character Humpty has a brother played by Robert Napper, who played his brother in Twin Peaks The Return called Dumpty. Thank you, that's all. <laughs> so there we have it, folks. Thief. There we but are. One directed by Michael Mann. Go check it out. It's on Netflix. Thank you for listening to this uh, little uh, bonus episode of The Real Politic. We'll hopefully be back in the next few weeks uh, with a new episode because we're all busy with work and stuff, but we'll be back. Uh, I'm sure some film reviews. We're going to, we want to talk about Decker at some point, the Tim Heidecker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, web series which is absolutely hilarious yeah um we also want to do a, a harry dean stanton retrospective and we i'm do. sure we'll have some political ramblings to uh oh to definitely so any final words jack i just uh looked at all the eight different tabs i had open on the internet on my phone and uh they included pictures of putin and stalin in typical fashion, a Russia connection for the real politic. <laughs> Russia! Russia! Thank you for listening, folks, to the Real Politic podcast, and we will be back soon, I'm sure. And we'll play we'll you back. out with Mighty Joe Young's Turning Point.
it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.